leadership in cybersecurity isn't just about understanding threats. It's about leading a team to navigate them with confidence. At CPF Coaching LLC, we specialize in taking your leadership skills to the next level. With over 15 years in the cybersecurity field, we empower professionals and startups to reach unprecedented heights. Imagine having a personalized coaching experience tailored to your unique career ambitions. From strategic planning to masterful pitch and interview preparations, we're here to guide you through every challenge. Join us for our unique value proposition workshops or dive into our vibrant learning community for continuous skill advancement. Don't just be a part of the industry. Redefine it. Visit cpfcoaching.com for more information. Discover the leader within. Contact CPF Coaching LLC today and schedule your strategic session. Hello, security peeps. We are live on the Breaking Into Cybersecurity podcast series. I am Renee Small. We are in hoodie land today. I am here with my awesome co-host, Chris Folon. Say hi to everybody, Chris. Hey, everyone. And the wonderful Kirsten Renner. Say hi to everyone, Kirsten. Hello. Hi. So Kirsten is the head of recruiting, senior director of recruiting at Novetta. And we have Kirsten on today and Chris on today to talk about all kinds of fun stuff. As you all know, we initially started out with talking about how Kirsten got into this wacky world of cybersecurity. <laughs> so a recruiter like me out here trying to recruit you folks into the field. So first, she's going to talk about that. And then we'll also start talking about allies, since I know Chris is on an ally panel in RSA this week. Kirsten, are you in RSA this week as well? I am not, sadly. Okay, mm -hmm. so Kirsten and I will be out here recruiting on the, on the East Coast while you all are having fun in RSA, but we'll still talk about allies and how we can continue to support each other in this industry. So Kirsten, can you get started by telling us about how you got into recruiting folks like Chris into the industry? Sure, sure. Um, I started in, uh, I, was, I was an admin, and then I started in an internship in development. I liked it. I was very interested in it. I wasn't very good at it. Uh, but I wanted to stay with technology. Um, I'm a college dropout, by the way, so I, I didn't really have a path. And I um, was in IT, standing up help desks for a while. And the part of that that I enjoyed the most was the building the teams. And that's how I got into recruiting. And once I started, I was like, this is this is it. I can be involved with technology. I can be surrounded by people doing the cool stuff and uh, and not have to do the cool stuff myself. So um, <laughs> and, you know, it's really cool. What is also really cool about recruiting is um and, and this will be a really good transition into the ally part of our conversation is my favorite part my favorite part is the conferences it's um being a volunteer it's helping with the villages doing those sorts of things it's relationship stuff um and so in a way you're also a hacker because you have to be constantly reverse engineering um, everything that somebody needs. I have to build requirements around every relationship, right? And then I have to walk it back from the finish line and make it work. So, so I, I say I hack. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm done with the hoodie. <laughs> <laughs> Super cool. Super cool. Me too. It's kind of hot under there. Um, right? Yeah. So, Kirsten, I always say to people that I love recruiting because every job is like a mini project. 
So by you saying that hacking, like reverse engineering the whole process of, hey, what do you need? And then backing into that, I feel the same exact way when it comes to recruiting. So how did you how did you get into um did you start in the cybersecurity space or did you start in the in some other world of recruiting and then eventually got into cyber? I started with IT and I saw a tweet this morning and and forgive me, I can't remember who 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 tweeted it, but it said something along the lines of um, you can't cybersecurity isn't IT, but you can't cybersecurity without starting there, without knowing it, without understanding it. And coincidentally, that's where I started. Like literally, I'm so old, I was standing up at the first help desk with the first PCs at a local municipality. Like we went from AS400 um, to to PCs and that's how I started. And how did I get into cybersecurity? Uh, I, I was on a um, GovSec contract and I, Again, I started with the IT side of it initially, and then I did telecommunications, and then there was a cyber component to all of those things. And super fast story, uh, I walked into one of my hiring manager's offices at an integrator years ago. Holy crap, it was like 12 years ago. And I was looking at all the books on his shelf and I was trying to understand I didn't have to do any of the hard recs like security researcher or anything like that, but I wanted to. So I pulled some books off the shelf and I, I was like, can I, can I borrow these books? And he was so blown away that I was interested to actually learn the technologies that I was on a plane to DEF CON two weeks later. And <laughs> now I do 25 conferences a year. So. Wow. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, I have a similar IT to cybersecurity background, so I I relate to that. Um, but the other thing I wanted to highlight that you mentioned is that you had no path. Um, and lots of people come into security like that as well. And then, as Renee and I mentioned, there's a whole ecosystem around cybersecurity that you don't necessarily need to be doing the technical stuff. There's a lot of feeder paths into it, um, recruiting, sales, etc. that you don't have to be a technical person to do it. That's right. And there's so many important components. Uh, my testing is not a good example. That's technical. But but the writing and the compliance piece and the policy piece are so integral to making uh, anything work in security. Um, and people don't seem to understand that or they don't remember that those people that aren't technical, um, they fully understand the technologies and they're not hitting the keyboard all day long, um, but they're just as important to the, the whole life cycle of cybersecurity. Yeah, we usually equate it, or I do, to the healthcare industry. You know, everyone doesn't have to be a surgeon or a dentist. Um, you know, there's so many pieces to the puzzle of being in the industry. And by being in cybersecurity in the industry, we all can bring our different talents to the table um, and be able to utilize them the way you did. So that is pretty awesome. So we're going to get into our allies discussion. Let's do it. (laughs) Let's get into allies. So um, Chris and Kirsten were having a discussion around supporting each other in the cybersecurity space and in the industry and some of the things that we've seen out there. Um, So Chris is going to be talking on a panel this uh, next week at RSA um, supporting allies. 
So Chris, talk to us a little bit about that panel to get to get us started to, to have this discussion around supporting um, each other in the industry. Well, I mean, someone nominated me for this award and I wasn't a finalist, but I was nominated uh, simply for what I do, um, help promote diversity of thought and everyone and inclusivity into this industry. So man, woman, black, white, whatever sexual relation, we're, we all have a part in this industry. So it's just being supportive of everyone um, that's interested in this industry and welcome, welcoming them and helping them find their place, their path, their journey, and helping them along the way. And so that's what the conversation is about. What can we do to invite people to the industry, support them while they're here, and help them be accepted, as well as those that might be causing hardships for them, supporting them from supporting those coming in and defending against those that might be um, attacking them for because they're part of the old group or the old culture. Yeah. I had heard, um, I think, on a couple so just, just podcasts a heads up, ago. A, yes. I was just going to say, uh, we might be about to have a, a teenager might be about to interrupt us. I hear my garage door. Just in case. <laughs> It's always fun on a live podcast. Yeah, I've had mine walking back here. If I open this door, you're going to have two-year-olds and all kinds of stuff going oh. on. So yeah. there it is. Um, but Chris and I, we talked about, I think we were on a podcast a couple weeks, maybe a couple weeks ago, where someone talked about um, putting up, oh, I remember who it is, but I can't remember his name right now. Um, but uh, Cecil was on with us and talked about going out into um, on the internet and really doing searches around people trying to break into the industry in particular and how he had seen uh, people be so, some people, not all, but some folks be so arrogant about a person who just didn't know anything. And they were just interested and said, hey, how do I get into this? And he said, like, what he read was so, was kind of appalling. Like, I, you know, the, per the, the response to this person asking, how do I break in was, well, if you have to ask that, then you shouldn't be here or something to that effect. And that was purely online. And it was just like he said that he was so appalled by that, that it made him kind of put stuff out there from a hiring manager perspective um, or one of the reasons why he did it. So we're seeing this, we're seeing it online, we're seeing it for people who are new, we're seeing it for people who are, you know, not the typical old guard of what security used to be. So Kirsten, talk to us about your experiences. Um, coincidentally, the the video I put up this morning, two minutes, uh, it's just three things that can make you a better interviewer. And one of those things uh, was I promised everyone that if you're talking to someone you want to hire, someone else also wants to hire them. So how are you going to make them come back to you? How are you going to stand out against all the other interviews and all the other offers that they've got going on? And one of the things that I said was there are two, well, it's a, a two-part factor that will qualify every candidate for every job. And you're thinking, what in the world could that magic sauce? The magic sauce is, are they willing and able to do it or to learn? That's it. 
That's the whole thing. If that candidate wants to learn and is able to learn, then they're qualified for all the jobs. And I think the examples I used were everybody doesn't know Elasticsearch. Everybody doesn't know Metasploit, right? And I'm, I'm picking things out of the air that not a lot of people know how to do. But all the people that do know how to do it had to get there, right? Someone had to teach them. A lot of that shit isn't taught in schools even, right? It's not in a textbook. It's not in the college curriculum. So someone has to make an investment in people that uh, that have that magic ingredient, that they're, that they're willing and they're able uh, to learn. And so that's how you're going to break in. Somebody's going to have to invest in you. Somebody's going to have to be willing to do that. Everybody doesn't have the budget or the bandwidth necessarily to uh, to train large hosts of people. However, the the way to break in is to find somebody willing to help you. And I know that a lot of, you know, we're surrounded by engineers. Chris is an engineer. They want there to be a specific formula you can always follow. And it's going to have to be being decent, being an ally. And, and, and frankly, statistically speaking, you know, when, when I'm trying to have a more diverse workforce, when I'm looking around the room and everybody's a man or everybody's white, for example, it's just statistically what's happening, right? So how, how do we find the people who either aren't raising their hand or aren't getting the opportunities? Uh, we have to look around the room and I'm going to put a little bit more onus on people that have less challenges, right? And say, what can I do to help you get there? Because it's just a habit. For example, I'll just say, um, whether whether it's a, a, a race or gender or uh, sexual identity, things like this, um, when you have those barriers against you, it just comes natural to you to always try to earn your spot in the room, right? So I'm going to sit down. It's just my natural habit. And I'm just pretending I'm the example. And I'm going to justify my opinion. And let's just say there's three white guys in the room because statistically there probably are. They are not going to have to justify that they're qualified to have an opinion. And so how could, Chris, you can be my my pretend white guy in the room. You can <laughs> you can help me. He's not you... really white. <laughs> he grew up in the Caribbean. <laughs> 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 Y'all didn't know that about Chris, did you? <laughs> I hear it, uh, but <laughs> he's not really white. Uh, but you, <laughs> but the allies in the room can be the ones that that are supportive, right? I I gotta say, um, uh, Jason Street is a really really good example of someone that. Um, is a warrior for justice, right? He's someone who is going to see someone else uh, trying to fight against gatekeepers. I'm not going to name the other person who at one point um, responded to something I had going on in the car hacking village and literally said, how are you even qualified to talk about car hacking is what they said to me. Do you hack cars? And I'm like, wow. And before I had a chance to try to figure out even how to articulate my answer, Jason jumped in. He didn't have to, you know, but he's got tens of thousands of followers and it mattered. It mattered more to the community that somebody with a checkmark voice said she's allowed to have an opinion. Those are just little things like that. 
in yeah. our community that matter. There's a lot of great um, chatter on here. <laughs> Ron oh, said, shit, I can't see the chatter. I know, but I'll, I'm going to read it to you. So oh, um, it's so funny. Ron said, Chris is a pretend white guy. Yes, he is. <laughs> um, so Jeff says, if you could discuss how recruiters and those writing job descriptions can help to invite those talented professionals willing and able to learn, join the industry, even though even through feeder pass, a welcome and thank you for discussion in advance. Um, Kirsten, you want to take that on? Because I can. <laughs> I, I want to. I'm also interested in hearing your opinion because it's not. It's it's not a simple answer. Yeah. It's going to take more than the job description. I wish that the recruiters and some sometimes were the ones responsible for writing the job descriptions. Um, they they at the very least are the ones that are responsible for sort of um, interpreting it, if you will, or communicating it out. There's um, what the customer requirements are. There's what we have to do from a compliance perspective. Uh, most descriptions are horrible. How can mm. I invite you? I can invite you by taking the description and making it barely part of the conversation, right? It's there, it's posted the way it's posted for a reason. Uh, I, as the recruiter or anyone on my team of recruiters is is gonna have to better communicate who we're looking for by finding that audience, right? Finding the right paths to reach that audience and drawing messaging around it. For example, um, if somebody writes a tweet and you want to capture something from it, how do you do it? You retweet it and you and you take pieces out of it or, or an article or something like that. It's kind of like that. Um, and then it's also a very, very key component to this beyond the description is the relationship with the hiring manager. It is going to be important. One of the most important things that the recruiter can do, they are representing both sides of the spectrum here, right? So they are your representative. You're the candidate. Consider them your agent. If they're doing their job well, they're caring about you, finding out what you need, what you want, what you're willing to do beyond your resume. Most of the resumes suck. Most of the job descriptions suck. So the recruiter is the person in between having real conversations with the candidate and interpreting the difference between that these two horrible documents. And, right. and then one of the other things that um, <clears throat> was mentioned a while ago that I, I absolutely love, um, someone at DEF CON was talking about, yeah, we, we can't get like, on diverse candidates and then the person responded well have you ever got, walked over to diana initiative to look for people over there and you're like huh never thought of that and it's that same thing if you go to the same spot all the time looking for candidates you're not going to have that diversity of thought so think outside the box go to different events go to different locations post your your, your job listing in different locations in different ways uh, change the wording things like that and you will have a totally different response than if you use the same can post all the time. Yeah. Well, Kirsten knows this too. One, you know, a lot of top people don't even respond to job postings because you all are already working. So we have to go actually find you. So the job posting is one component of all of this. Um, and two, um, Kirsten, you made so many great points. One, in regards to having a relationship with the hiring manager and recruiters as a whole, because people tend to blame recruiters in this a lot. And there are some of us in the industry that it, it's definitely, you know, 
taken and received. But a lot of the times people don't fully understand the whole entire recruitment process and how this stuff works. And in the vast majorities of roles that I have, uh, that in, in companies, large companies where I've been, recruiters tend to be, there are consultative recruiters, but they tend to be order takers, especially ones that are brand new to the industry and don't fully understand what cybersecurity is. So a hiring manager gives a recruiter a job description. Recruiters typically do not create job descriptions from scratch. Like Kirsten said, if we were creating the job descriptions, that would be a whole different, you know, they would all be beautiful and pretty, hopefully, (laughs) pretty out there because that's our area of expertise. The technical person or the cybersecurity leader is not, their expertise typically is not creating job descriptions. So you get some of these wacky job descriptions. The way we are trying to, and I'm saying we as recruitment in, in the industry, so the recruitment industry as a whole, if you don't have specific cybersecurity knowledge, you're trying to narrow something down. So you see somebody comes in and they say they're looking for a quote unquote entry level. It takes a certain type, type of recruiter to push back, which comes goes to that relationship part to say, is this truly entry level if you're asking for five to 10 years experience? What type of five to 10 years of experience are you looking for? Some of these tools have not even been around for five to 10 years. You know, like those types of pushback questions that you have to give but that comes from trust, having the confidence as a recruiter and all that. Cause that question comes up time and time again around recruiting. Um, I'm going to jump into some of these other ones. Ron asked again, how do we work with HR and hiring managers to look at qualified people who may not have direct cybersecurity experience? And Chris and I talk about that all the time. We talk about diversity of thought. We talk about so many different things. But Kirsten, do you want to take that one? Working so with HR? The- so Ron Werner wants to know, how do we work with HR and hiring managers to look at qualified people who may not have direct cybersecurity experience? Let me preface to say that um, that my answer, first of all, this is nothing against HR, right? HR does what they do. Typically, recruiting falls under HR. However, uh, my team does not because in my opinion, and my company thankfully agrees with me, this is not an HR function. When I transition the candidate onto being an employee, they become the human resource and they become HR's problem (laughs) or (laughs) issue, right? Their responsibility rather. Um, So before you are an employee, you're not a human resource, you are a candidate and that falls under operations. So this is gonna improve the relationship that that my team has with the customer who is the hiring managers, who are the technical people, um, we are part of operations and that's where recruiting should be. So I just gave some secret sauce to all my competitors. You should put your recruiters under operations. That's where they belong. Um, so how are you going to, how are you going to work with the recruiting team um, to, are, are you trying to make um the process better or how are you going to make them look at candidates that aren't i'm facing this challenge right now actually um in a specific situation where we're seeing and renee you can you can attest to this the pool right now of people actively looking for a job people that actually have their job their resumes posted it is getting smaller and smaller and smaller right mm-hmm. the people who are qualified i'm almost concerned when there's a qualified application like, why are you looking? Right. right. Um, <laughs> so it's really more that, you know, and, and I'm not saying there's not a lot of exceptions to that, but what I'm yeah. saying is um, 
it's important for for the recruiters to be communicating to say, here's the junior pool, here's the people that are qualified, here's the people that are willing and able, like we said, to learn. Will you take a look at them? Will you give right. them a chance? Yep. Um, it's about communication and it's about relationships. Yeah, I would agree with that. I I had uh, was working on a project last year and. It was such a struggle to find people to fill certain positions. And we kept going back to the managers and I kept providing them. This is the kind of struggles, some of the things to, to get a glimpse into a recruiter's world. Some of the things that we had to keep going back to the, the management team because the management team was looking for a specific type of skill set and specific tools in the industry and all that. And it was just pretty difficult to find the skill set for the price that they wanted to pay, which is another conversation. So we kept saying to them, hey, this is what the market is bearing. This is what the you, this, is, this is what your competitors are paying. This is all this stuff. And it was just so every, <laughs> it just kept going back to, hey, why don't you get some junior people? Hey, why don't you get some junior people? You know, asking over and over again because the senior people are out of your range. And I made a comment on a LinkedIn post a couple of weeks ago that said, um, you know, some folks want champagne. They have champagne taste and they have ginger ale budgets. Like they want all this stuff. It's not out there. And when you do find it, it's super expensive and bringing up, you know, back to breaking in, bringing in more people that don't have that exact experience is key. So another comment, Chris Wolski, my buddy, says, Kirsten, how about we just take race and gender out of this altogether? There's a backlash of being overly supportive to the point of ignoring those that are qualified to do the job, but are white male. I've 100% in 20 years never seen that occur. I have never seen a job not get filled with a qualified person because we were waiting to give the position to someone that met a diversity checkbox. I'm not saying it doesn't occur. I've never seen it. I've never seen it in the federal government. I've never seen it on a federal contract. I've never seen it in GovSec or InfoSec or IT. I haven't. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. But I, I think that there is a, a misperception that people who are qualified are overlooked because we're so busy trying to find someone that meets one of these protected factors that we've discussed. Um, I assure you that if I find someone that can fill the job, I'm not gonna not pursue that person because they're not black or they're not female or they're not some other fill in the blank. That will never happen. I need to fill the jobs and I will. Um, so I'm not in no one on my team and no recruiters that I know are overlooking qualified people. Um, the conversation we're having is more about, about helping people that are facing challenges, right? Um, I, my job is to fill the jobs and I do. And statistically, I, I don't care what your race or your gender, you know, I don't, I don't care about any of that. Um, I wish it was invisible. Um, but please understand that nobody that I know trying to fill jobs is going to overlook someone qualified and willing to do it, um, because they don't check a box. Uh, yeah. this conversation is more about, can I create an environment? Can I participate in an environment? No matter what it is, let's stop talking about recruiting altogether. Okay. Forget recruiting. If I'm standing at a booth at a um, at an event, how can I make the experience better? 
How can I make it more welcoming just for the community, just for the community at large, just for the people that are walking around, whoever they are, whatever their age, whatever their fact, you know, uh, white, black, I don't care. I, w- I want the environment in InfoSec, in our community to be more welcoming. And you know what? I, I think one of the examples in my notes was um, I we have, I know somebody, somebody recently said that examples of men being mistreated by women is so anecdotal that it's not worth saying. However, one of the reasons that Chris and I started talking about this was because of something that I recently saw um, where a man was being mistreated by a woman and I caught myself being what complacent, like not, not sticking up for him where uh, naturally would have if the situation were reversed. So that the whole, the whole reason this conversation started was because I was reflecting on how, how, how I wasn't pleased with how I behaved in that situation. Um, I should have said something. I should have said, that's a human being and it's not okay. Um, so this is about all people being treated well. Yeah. And that's a true story, right, Chris? I mean, I would, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that yeah. just happened. No, you I, would talk- go, ahead. go ahead, Chris. I, I think another aspect of it, rather than like the focus on, uh, on factors for me as a hiring manager, I try to say, okay, if we don't have a lot of applicants, um, that are qualified, like change your recruiting tactics, look in different places, open up um, to different schools to, because oftentimes companies will focus on the Ivy League or the, the, the schools that they have relationships with. And then you're surprised that they, they have a narrow group of individuals um, or a narrow diversity of thought and they don't have a lot of candidates. Well, open it up. Um, one of the, the examples we talked about in a recent podcast was in Germany, how uh, one of the companies there has an entire department focused on working with autistic people because to doing code reviews because they love going down in that code and figuring out, like, why isn't it working? And they could be there for eight hours figuring out one problem and they don't care because they love it. That, that's what. But un- until you think outside the box, you can't invite those types of individuals into your organization. Yeah. And, you know, speaking from someone, I was at a career fair yesterday and I and I think I happened upon some people who were seemed like and I'm, I'm no expert in this, but seemed like they were on the autism spectrum. But and the, the you know, you could tell that this person was potentially trying to process information and they didn't they weren't as, I guess, interview savvy as some of the others. So being able to just overcome, to sit there and have an open mind and say, okay, you know, you may think that this person who's taking a long time to respond to you is, you know, did they hear me correctly or whatever, or is it that this person could potentially have a disability that we're not aware of? Um, I think just having an open mind in general, you know, helps with so many different things. I also don't want to forget, I mean, Kirsten and, and Chris have been talking about, and I want to jump into talking about um, actually the experiences at conferences overall. Um, but one of the things that I have seen and have heard from, you know, across the board is from an age perspective too. 
So, you know, you have all these other different, you have, you know, all the different isms, you got sexism, racism, or, you know, all these different things where people have their prejudices or, and it, it, it tends to, I, I see it in the, in the age space as well. Um, so just again, being allies for each other, like just because a person is quote, has 25 years of experience doesn't mean that they're over, quote unquote overqualified for a position. Um, just like the junior person who has two years of experience, you know, you gotta just try to, if a person is interested and they're excited about the role, give them that shot, you know, and not make assumptions about what they can or cannot do overall as a whole. Um, Ron says, Chris, any tips for social engineering your next boss? <laughs> well, uh, I, I think where he's trying to go with that is um, <clears throat> make that connection like Kristen was talking about with the person that you're talking to. So um, meet them at a conference, follow them on social networks, point out the things that you're doing that you admire, that you like, to um, build that relationship with them so that when you are in that hiring conversation, they already have that relationship in the back of their mind or they've had that experience with you. Um, that doesn't always help, but um, it's just part of that relationship building. And if you if you know what they like, you can tailor your responses to that, um, to that angle to possibly help in their decision-making. Yeah. I've also heard, I mean, just to, I have had situations where a manager in their, they, they are um, trying to do the right thing, right? And they say, oh, I'm only looking for, you know, I would prefer a woman. I would prefer, you know, I have a really diverse team. You know, I have uh, I have a, a white guy and a black woman and I have this and that and I'm looking for an Asian person, you know, like, <laughs> and they're trying to, in their minds, you know, put together this team of people um, that is, quote, a diverse team. But that in and of itself is like it just targeting one saying I want this or that in and of itself is a, a challenge. Um, and, you know, the HR professionals in the in the world and the team, you know, out here in the industry, we try our best to say to folks, hey, we know you're trying you're looking to do the right thing. But it's really about whatever, whoever is like the, the most qualified candidate and not necessarily one versus the other. Um, I want you guys to talk about the the um the um conferences and conference experiences overall um what that's like you know what you've seen Kirsten you had some great some great notes um about just the different experiences um I know um Deidre Diamond who started Cyber Ascent she started the the um her nonprofit you know, based on, I believe it was based on what she saw at conferences in the past. So anything to, any points you want to make around conferences overall in the experience? Can you guys still hear me? Yes, it's a little <laughs> bit low, but we hear you. Uh, a call came in, just for those of you that don't know, it took us a while to get the sound working and I had to move from a computer to a phone. Um, so then the headphones cut off. All right. Um, from a so I can only offer you my personal experience, obviously, um, and the, another 
thing that happened recently at a conference that got Chris and I talking um, was I was observing someone brand new to the field, brand new to our industry and brand new to the conference scene. And, um, and she's young and she's female and I was watching and that's relevant to this, um, how she was treated and how she handled it. And it, I'm going to say it, it was a flashback for me. It, it brought back memories. Um, the more you get known in the community, the less you have to deal with the kind of crap that she was having to deal with. Um, but there were people approaching her and, and speaking down to her and saying things to her, like, you know, she'd say, hi, welcome to the, welcome to our table. And the people would say, uh, well, I see you've got some interesting things going on here. You're demoing this and you've got a CTF here. Um, who can I talk to that can help me? Who can I talk to that can explain it to me? Who can I talk to that can tell me more? They just wrote her off right off the bat as being someone incapable of speaking about the CTF and of speaking about the demo that was occurring. Um, and she actually knew more about it at, at that moment uh, than anybody else that was standing there. And it was, it was, she handled it very well. Um, she's maybe too young to be as kind of you know, bitter and jaded about it as I am, but I, I'm sick <laughs> of it. I'm so sick of it in you know, 2020 or whatever time it is. Like I'm, I'm tired of it. Why did she have to even go through that? Uh, but, but she did. And so that was something where um, I'm, I, you know, I, I would be looking in that moment for, or I can remember in the past when somebody would come over to me, you know, I'm at the, the table for my employer and they, they'd they say, well, who, who's technical here? Who can talk to me? I, what I love more than anything is when a woman responds with a technical answer because they get it because they're the one who wrote the code or they're the ones who set up the product. Um, but because that's statistically not typically the case, people don't even give them a chance. And and that's something we also have to change in our culture, the, 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 the culture of boot babes and things like that. Like don't, don't have solely female representation for um, marketing or bringing someone in, in, in front of your boots, because then you set that expectation that, that that's all that they're there for. Um, and I know it's been changing recently and there's been pushback from individuals within the field like that. That's not acceptable anymore. Um, we've evolved from that time and place. Um, but if you go back in time, it was our, <clears throat> it was female, females that took the space shuttle to the moon. They were the computer scientists in the back, crunching all the numbers, helping to change the guidance systems to do all the updates. They were the original computers. They were the people that computed the, 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 the math to get it done. And somehow along the way it got changed, but we have to realize that everyone's good at it. And by <clears throat> having certain roles dedicated to a certain gender, that just affects the industry as a whole. So we have to get away from that. So a couple of good comments here. Um, Dale Drew says, don't use LinkedIn 
Don't forget to use LinkedIn career advice features. You can be linked to professionals in your space and in your area to help guide you through techniques to break into a specific industry. Um, Jeffrey White wants to talk about applicant tracking systems. Where can we add more personal value in physically reviewing resumes for potential talent or a possible good fit for a position? We'll get back to that applicant tracking systems in a second, Jeffrey White. Um, Dr. Jan Boutron, she is starting a study on implicit bias and explicit bias in cybersecurity. She wants to know who would like to take her survey, contact her on LinkedIn. George Sprague says, when I worked at ATOS, I always did a test if I met um, if I met someone who was technical and one of the women in our team was always the one with the answer. So I made sure that she became the lead. Um, Oh, and Elizabeth is talking about your more more recent um, conference experience, where she said that situation is quite familiar with me, not just on conferences, but also on regular communication with people hitting the question. So who can we speak to regarding the technical part? So um, I will take on applicant tracking system. <laughs> the easy stuff. Before you get to the applicant tracking system, because <laughs> I'm interested in your answer on that. Yeah. Uh, Chris just happens to work at a company where not it's 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 very diverse and in particular um there's some really brilliant women working there can you speak to please tell me you have had the opportunity to because your your company's also very uh, active in the community you guys are everywhere um or you all are everywhere and uh tell me about some experiences with you know maybe lawyer liz or one of your other brilliant females where somebody maybe made a made an assumption about them not being technical because yeah I, um i would say one of my it first experiences with that is that um before i even joined the company i was, I was brought on for a contractor role and um in one of the calls with our clients they assumed that because a female was leading the pm role of that project that they weren't technical. And she was able to talk through that and outshine them. And very quickly the the, the customer realized that yes, they, they're not just leading the call, but they have that technical expertise. Um, and then one thing I wanna to, to touch on in regards to hiring, it's, it's about passion. So you look for individuals with that passion, with that curiosity, no matter who they are. And that's how you build your team. Um, because that that's just a way to look at it. Yeah, that's the, the easiest way to answer that question. <laughs> um, Kirsten, they, everybody wants to connect with you, Tyrone in particular. So I'm gonna make sure I tag you. Um, applicant tracking system. So very quickly, um, applicant tracking systems, especially when there's a couple different reasons why they're in use. You know, we have um, what's called OFCCP compliance. You know, we have to be able to, to hold on to all the resumes and see who is going through the pipeline, who's applying, all that good stuff. Um, so some of the things that happens, and you guys might not even know this, but even on LinkedIn, there is a ranking system with some of these applicant tracking systems where the more your resume matches the job, the higher you're gonna get ranked. 
So for example, if I am using LinkedIn, for example, and LinkedIn is not an ATS, but if I'm, if I'm using LinkedIn Recruiter and I get 100 applicants to a role and the you're awesome, but your resume is not aligned to the position, and you're number 75 and 10 other people's resumes really, really align to that position, they unfortunately, even if they are not the right fit, will get the first call. <laughs> well, it's just the nature of um, just not having enough time in a day to go through every single resume. Now, um, from a management perspective, we've spoken to a lot of leaders who will say they will want to see every single resume because there's things in the resumes that they've seen um, that they get excited about that a recruiter might not necessarily know that they're looking for. So, you know, if they have to, if, for example, I'm a new recruiter and I don't know anything about um, SANS, for example, and a hiring manager sees that a person has taken a SANS course, but the rest of, in this particular SANS course is important to him or her, and the rest of the resume does not say that, they may say, oh, I want to see this person because I know this person took the SANS course, got this SANS certification, so they might know, you know, they know more than potentially these other people. So applicant tracking systems are tricky. It's just the way it is, especially in bigger organizations, you can't get around them. I would say, you know, think about Chris with hacking the system, like some of the things Chris and Ron talked about in the la last week's podcast was, you know, if you see a job that you're interested in, reaching directly out to the hiring manager, making them aware, showing that passion, hitting up people on LinkedIn, doing research about the positions and the, the jobs and the roles, and to you know, you're fighting a losing battle trying to get over applicant tracking systems. <laughs> so that's not one a fight you want to. One million percent. One million percent. If, if you don't remember anything we say today, applying for the job is not enough. And then complaining on Twitter that you applied and never heard anything is also not enough. Yeah. Um, there's a there's a very high percentage chance that no one's ever going to see your application. You're not even going to show up in the searches, oftentimes, depending on the formatting. Most applicant tracking systems, they suck. There's some old SAP system or something. They're, they're awful. Um, some of them aren't that bad, but most of them do suck. Um, if all every recruiter listening raises their hand if you've used some version of Taleo at some point in your life. Um, thankfully, we don't know it. <laughs> fucking sucks right any of them um, we don't, we're not going to see your resume so after i tell people after you apply the first thing you need to do is go to linkedin or indeed or glassdoor they're all free you don't have to pay for them as a candidate you're going to go in there and you're going to figure out who recruits there and who the hiring managers are there i would ask that you start with the recruiter give them a chance first and then your second step would be the manager um Go in there and say, hey, hi, so-and-so. I just wanted to bring to your attention that I applied for rec number XYZ. Looking forward to what the next steps are. And then give them a day or two. They're probably going to see your direct message. Recruiters are really good about seeing their direct messages. Me on Twitter, everybody else on LinkedIn. The other thing that I would add about applicant tracking systems is remember who designed those systems there's that implicit and explicit bias in the algorithms that do these searches. And then there's also the other end 
of those using the applicant tracking system, if you're not using the right keywords, if you're choosing to focus on strong action words versus um, soft skills, you're going to remove an entire set of, of the population because you're focused on a male characteristic within that job description and you'll automatically filter out um, a female candidate that might not have described their experience in that same way. So that's definitely one of the reasons that it's not enough is because A, the job description, B, the query terms, and then C, resume, like all three of those combined together just is just a recipe for disaster when it comes to searching. Yep, and to Renee's point earlier that ties into what you just said uh, from OFCCP compliance and, and any other federally mandated compliance, you know, really you can't use those words. You can't, we can't search for anything that we can't measure. And so strength is is not a tangible thing that we can that we can measure, right? We can measure things that you can count and you can add. Um, so, and also statistically speaking, not to make it a girl thing again, uh, women are less likely to apply to a position that asks for a specific requirement. That's true. Um, I don't I don't fit into that mold. I've never been qualified for a job I've ever had, but um, <laughs> but typically a woman isn't going to apply if it says you have to have to have to have these things. So most of the time I'm finding that things that are in the requirements should really technically be down in the preferred area. Mm -hmm. And we should, you run out of things to say, but um, if it says Python, but you know some other scripting language, then guess what? We'll go back to the willingness and ability. Probably you're willing and more than likely you're able <laughs> to figure out some other scripting language. So... I, I think one of the tweets that I love when it comes to that is um, have the, the confidence of uh, a 20 year old white guy when you're applying to these job descriptions. If you only meet like two other requirements, but you have a passion for it, just go ahead and apply because um, if you magically get selected through the applicant tracking system, through the recruiter, now you have your, your, your chance to shine, right? Um, so just go ahead and apply because you'll miss any shots that you don't take. Chris, you and I talked one or two B-sides charms ago. I think that's what it was. It was definitely a B-sides. So I, I don't remember which one. And, uh, it was, it was me probably submitting my first talk or something like that. It was a while ago. And we were trying to think of, um, we were trying to think of what to call it, um, Phones ringing again, uh, and and we we talked about you know hacking the system, hacking it right. Like what can we do, um, and and this is what you can do. Uh, don't just go through the applicant tracking process. Don't just apply for the job. Um, do what you were talking about. Find out. This is what I'm going to do. Where do you work? Who else works there? Where what are they doing on social? What are they doing in the community? Are they talking at any conferences? Are they, or what conversations are they having, particularly on Twitter? How can I participate in those? How can I build a relationship with those people? Right, that's, that's you genuinely building relationships. It is time consuming. However, that is how your resume is gonna get seen. When yeah, you yeah a, a referral, yeah. We, I mean, we talk about that pretty probably like every week. So a couple different, um, 
couple different points here. Tons of great conversation. So uh, Dr. Jan says, again, analytics in, link in LinkedIn have improved greatly for recruiters who can afford to pay for the extra analytics. Chris Wolski has said, I was fortunate enough to have several women to work with. I had no problem taking lessons from them. I don't know everything. That's right, Chris Wolski. Um, Michael McPherson said, Chris Wolski totally agreed. The leadership stigma is rife across the industry, and this is a fundamental problem to not only diverse, diverse teams, but also the apparent skills gap. Um, Tyrone Ron Werner says, Kirsten, can we quote you? Most applicants, applicant tracking systems suck. <laughs> I don't know if we both Absolutely. said that. <laughs> you could quote us both. <laughs> as a candidate, as a candidate, I agree too. <laughs> they all have are, are going to agree with you as well. Exactly. Um, uh, Tyrone says, Dr. Jan, uh, primitive thinking and acting men are still prevalent in our society. Unfortunately, Ron says, not just men, Tyrone people. It's why gaining many perspectives is key. I 100% agree. Um, so, I mean, there's just so many comments here that um, also remember the females apply for a job which they fit at 85 to 90%. Males apply when they fit at a lower percentage just to the point you just made, Kirsten. Um, Jeff thanks us for addressing the ATS questions. Um, Kiersia says, it, I'll also say it helps to look into companies that may be smaller or if relocatable in cities that are less competitive in addition to search out non-tech companies because every company has technical departments, even if it's retail, hospitality, insurance, financial services, et cetera. Awesome point. Beckwith. So she's absolutely right. Um, there is so much to talk about. I mean, we're at 52 minutes in this discussion. We typically end in 30 minutes. Um, you know, there's so many pieces to this puzzle. I want to say a, a final thought or two, but my big, big passion right now is really focusing on the youth. And I think we had some conversations a couple weeks ago around um, Chris going and talking to his son's kindergarten class and all the girls asking questions. I think Chris Wolski and I talked about, um, you know, young people and how we all have these passions. Chris, who were we? Who, which podcast? Who did we have on a podcast? And she, this woman's awesome, has a PhD in math. Um, she was on like a week ago. And we both talked about how we had this love of math as young young girls, like eight, nine, 10 years old. And I gave my story about having this teacher who saw that aptitude and immediately said, boom, you're going to be in after school math and had us all in there as little kids. And we were in, you know, we were 12, 13 in the seventh and eighth grade doing math problems out of the SAT book, had no idea. He would just snatch a problem out, throw it up on the board. And we would do it because kids rise to expectations, right? And if you have the aptitude, you get that done. So focusing on bringing in a new, um, going across the board, girls, boys, all, you know, diversities um, into disenfranchised communities where there's so much talent out there that just needs to be developed and found is kids, you know, across the board. And my goal is to just work with more and more young people to get them interested and um, focused so that we're not having this conversation 20 years from now about <laughs> the lack of talent, the lack of diversity and all that stuff. <clears throat> Excuse me, because if we start now to f foster that, 
I think we will just automatically just raise up and have this great diverse group of talented individuals like we have in a ton of industries that in the past surgeons, accountants, I was reading something about women going into accounting 30 years ago or so, they had like a challenge. This is not a new thing. It's happened in other industries in the past. So how can we look back, use some of that history and kind of like move things forward? Um, so that's my point. Kristen. Oh, Chris, you usually ask an awesome question at the end. No, no, I'll let uh, Kristen give her, her a couple of thoughts and then I want to give something just at the end. So. Okay, awesome. I love how like-minded we all are, uh, even some of the feedback that you were, that you were reading to us. Um, we are all on the same page. We are all on the same team and we are all uh, Kristen, can you speak to... up? Oh, sure. Uh, I'm trying to get closer now that the headphones don't work. Uh, be responsible for your behavior. Be responsible for your relationships. Be responsible uh, for um, being accountable to how am I contributing to this, to this thing, good or bad, and how can I improve myself? It seems really, really like a basic thing to say, um, but it matters. It's going to matter as you build those relationships and strengthen uh, those relationships. It's going to help everyone in the community. Um, and I'll go back to really trying to identify and training your managers also to identify as you're working on those relationships, um, who's willing and able, who's capable, and how we can provide opportunities for as many of those people as possible that will just naturally make a more diverse and welcoming community. And then for me, I wanted to touch on two, two topics. Um, one is pipelines, and then the other one is... Um, bringing more people in. So for, for the pipeline conversation, um, yes, I think having um, cybersecurity as a, uh, a topic of discussion earlier on, um, middle school, elementary school, so that people are aware of the risks that you're walking into. And the, the more aware of the risks and the people that help defend them on a day-to-day -day basis, the more interested they will be in that as a possible um, profession later in their life. If they don't know of everyone helping in the background to keep them secure online or in their Minecraft game or whatever, they, they won't know that they want to be that. Um, and then when it comes to bringing more people in right now, it's encouraging different people to go to the conferences, to go to the B-sides, to um, provide opportunities like Diana Initiative or uh, sponsorships to expensive conferences that um, individuals might not be able to afford or to travel to and providing them with those opportunities that's that's the way that we can bring in more people because some of these conferences are really expensive and by not being able to go to it you can't bring in those types of people so um, those are the things that I would strive for um, organizations and individuals to help promote the industry um, to do to bring in more diverse people. Awesome. Just one quick tip for people who are interested in attending conferences, but they they just they they can't do it financially. Um, volunteer, start at B sides, become a volunteer, and uh, when you give of your time, the community gives back to you too. So that's a it's a really good way if you're trying to break into conferences, if you're trying to if you're trying to find a way to get in, um, start by volunteering. Hack your way into it. 
Pack your wing in. Something like that. Great point. Great points. Okay, so folks, it is almost one hour. Wow. Uh, Kirsten, thank you so much for coming on with us. Chris, thank you for being an awesome co-host and bringing in all these amazing people. I think we lost her. <laughs> All right. If you want to connect, I'm on LinkedIn. I don't know if it, I'm tagged on here, but I'm Kay Renner on Twitter. And uh, thank you, everybody, for your time. Thank you, everyone. Chris. Yep. We'll just, I'll just wait here until um, <clears throat> Renee comes back to close out the recording. But um, I want to thank everyone that's been listening so far and commenting so far. Um, this is an important issue to the community as a whole, as well as myself. Um, as Renee and Kristen mentioned, um, this started out of a, a conversation with um, Kristen and myself, and we need to promote allyism and supporting each other in this community. Thank you, everyone. Have a great day.
in the rapidly evolving world of cybersecurity. Your business needs a guide that's as dynamic as the threats you face. CPF Coaching LLC delivers unparalleled expertise to elevate your cybersecurity startup or business with a decade and a half of specialized experience. We're not just advisors, we're your strategic partners in growth and risk mitigation. Our tailored advisory services range from immediate hourly guidance to comprehensive three or six month packages, all supported with encrypted messaging for real-time assistance. For more information, cpfcoaching.com is your destination. Forge a path to success and distinction in the cybersecurity landscape. Connect with CPF Coaching LLC today and secure your business's future.